Hey, this is Steve Balton, your host, and welcome back for the second episode of People Have the Power. Shepherd Ferry is not an easy act to follow, but man, we have an incredible show for you today with the Chicks. I was joined by all three members of the band to discuss their new album, Gaslighter, and to hear their playlist in a total of nine songs ranging from Elvis Costello and U2 to M.I.A. and Nina Simone. This was a phenomenal interview. I hope you enjoy the hour-long conversation as much as we did. So then let's get started because I know we don't, probably don't have a, a ton of time. And it, it's funny because, I mean, I'm really excited to hear your song choices. But before we come on to your song choices for uh, quote-unquote protest songs, by the way, this is exciting for me because you are the first artist to do the show who's actually had your songs picked by other people. So Butch Walker picked Not Ready to Make Nice and Annie Lennox was a huge fan of March March. Oh, wow. That's neat. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's awesome. awesome. It's funny because some of these songs go back, I mean, to the, when the Indigo Girls did the show, they went all the way back to We Shall Overcome. There's yeah. been a lot of Bob Marley. There's been a, a lot of, you know, like um, Shepard Fairy picked Johnny Cashman in Black. Not Ready to Make Nice was the most recent song, however. That was the newest song to, to make this list. Nice. So... Well, you know what? Since I started talking about that, why don't you give me your song choices first and we'll tie that in with your brilliant new album, which, you know, man, there's a lot to digest with that album. And, and it's funny because I'm not sure, you know, how much of it you haven't already talked about where you're just like, all right, <laughs> we're over it. But yeah, <laughs> hopefully I've got some new angles on it or at least some different questions. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys want to alternate one song each and keep going around or just do one at a time, all of them? Uh, well, go around one at a time because they, you know, the idea is then they lead to questions. And we didn't so, talk before this, so I don't know if we've repeated. So I came up with five in case they stole any of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I have four, <laughs> but I'll do one right now. Um, I'll start with Ocean Color Scene, Profit and Peace. Do you know that song? I do. I love the fact, too, that you are the first person to pick Ocean Color Scene. That's one of the, my favorite things about the show is everybody picks stuff that is so different. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying, yeah, I was trying to pick things that I haven't seen on a lot of lists. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, you, you definitely did. What, what is it about that song that, that excited you that, that really stood out to you? Well, I've always loved just the groove and the beat of that song. You just sort of jam out, but I love what it's saying too. You know, uh, war is profit. And so, yeah, people, of the world <laughs> keep wars going uh, to make profit and to get richer. But yeah, but it's also a great fun groove and an easy song for, you know, a huge crowd to learn and sing along with. I'm sure it's awesome live. All right. So that's interesting to me too, because I think one of the things that I enjoy about the show as well is it's funny, even if there's not like a direct, like uh, a direct correlation to something you've written. What I find fascinating, and this comes back into talking about the album. Look, let's be real about it. All great writing reveals itself. Great writing sort of leads itself. So when you go back and listen to stuff you've done over the years, do you hear any sort of like influence from Profit and Peace in there? Or there's little subtle things that you hear that you're like, maybe, uh, you know, I had never thought about that, but then it kind of jumps out to you. I mean, I didn't know Prophet and Peace, you know, when I was growing up, I probably heard that song for the first time when I was about 
25. Um, but definitely uh, songs I was a huge fan of and w- was really drawn to, especially uh, as like a teenager and then beyond were songs with the point of view and, and with a lot of times some defiance or a lot of times just peace and love. <laughs> I considered myself <laughs> Lubbock's very own hippie. <laughs> yeah. So I, I always, so I think definitely, I think that's probably one way that, you know, speaking out and having a point of view got, you know, just sort of in my core. All right, cool. Who wants to go next? I can go. Cool. Um, one of the things that our publicist said uh, you were maybe interested in is like what resonated with us growing up, you know, it doesn't have um, just songs that uh, we heard maybe as, as teenagers and stuff. And the first time you kind of think about what they mean in a, in a broader world sense. And so I, my, I'd like to say into- I miss that part of the, I missed that part of the email, just so you know, there'll be no, no songs here from when I was growing up. You know what's <laughs> funny? There, there's, that's what's cool. There is no, there is no right or wrong. And, you know, it, it's again, because I mean, this, honestly, this just started for me as like, right, and I'll give you the very quick backstory of the 80s. I'm, you know, was old enough to see the Amnesty tours with like U2 and Springsteen. I'm a massive John Lennon fan, massive Bob Marley fan. So literally like when I do these like roundup things for Forbes, two of your favorite 70s songs of all time, this is just me as a music geek thinking about these things that I get excited about. So there's no right or wrong. And when I started thinking about, you know, my favorite protest songs, and it's funny because, you know, I've always been fascinated with that. So whatever you came up with (laughs) is awesome. There is no right or wrong at all. It doesn't matter if it's childhood. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's something that you heard last week. All right. I'm just owning up to worst listener of the class (laughs) for today. Well, I grew up as a big U2 fan. It's one of my first concerts. And um, Sunday Bloody Sunday is on my list. Uh, about troubles in Ireland, Northern Ireland. And uh, we all have very close family who actually still live in Ireland. Um, And so I've heard just firsthand, we've heard firsthand just um, accounts of people growing up even even, in the 80s and still the troubles were a big uh, threat and a big fear and you know Catholics trying to drive down to northern Irish Catholics trying to drive down to the south and oh what's what's your name Maguire oh, get everybody out of the car everybody's searched everybody's you know and if your name is you know Smith or whatever you can go on through um, and we so that song uh, really really made an impact on me as a teenager, just learning about what had happened that day in the massacre, you know. See, I love, by the way, that's one of my favorite bands of all time. And I was at the US Festival in 1983 when Bono climbed to the top of the 100-foot scaffolding holding the white flag, which was such an iconic music moment. So I love the fact that you are the first person to pick that song Hmm. out of about 15 interviews. So you get like, okay, since Natalie used the class reference... You get extra extra credit for picking a, a U2 song, you know? And, and for you, talk about for a second. I mean, it's funny when you go back and hear and, and how that song... And they're an interesting band too because, you know, I think one of the things that I respect so much about Bono and I have gotten to interview him is, look, he is a guy who's done such a masterful job of straddling the world, of being a musician and also 
being heavily involved in, in social consciousness and politics. And it's funny. I remember all the shit that he took for, you know, befriending George W. Bush and trying to work with him. And I agreed with, I agreed with so much of that shit. But looking at it as you get older, you realize, okay, he also was able to do a lot of good for AIDS research. Yeah. You know? yeah. I think of him as such the, a, a diplomat. And yeah, he probably hated having to schmooze with people that he agreed a lot with, but, but diplomacy is what gets it done. So for all of you then, talk about, you know, how you take the principles of what they've done and been able to do stuff and bring that to your own work. Well, I think for us, you know, songwriting is sometimes the best way to do it. We'll always be vocal in interviews and things like that. But to really make an impact, I feel like music really helps serve it up in a way that is that more people will listen, you know, because everyone's talking. Everyone's got a platform these days. And um, so a song like March, March for us, to me, goes miles beyond if we were just to talk about that subject. Um, But yeah, to make things more palatable, you know, like a Bono or whatever. It's just like that diplomacy or that spoonful of sugar, I guess, is a way to get people to really listen to what you're saying. And I do though a lot of times it's, it's, if you, a music is a way in all art, painting, poetry, you know, whatever is a way to not, and a lot of songs do speak at people, but if you want to get around that, or there's so many ways in music to express a protest, it doesn't always have to be anti or like, you know, you know, it can be, it can be peace. It can be peaceful. Um, or just sort of, um, under the radar, like, uh, we didn't write Traveling Soldier, but as far as songs we've recorded, I mean, to me, Traveling Soldier can be a bit of a protest song. It's it's pointing out, you know, the bad side of war. And I guess some people could take it as like, <laughs> I don't know, romantic and just the way it is when you go out to fight <laughs> for your country or whatever. But I know at the time when we were performing it after the controversy, it felt more like a protest than a, a nod to or a, you know, romantic song about a soldier and his girl girl back home. Uh, we're going to come back to that in one second. I want to let Emily pick a song first because you haven't picked one of yours yet. And then we're going to come back to the, the sort of the subtlety. And because and, I agree with you a thousand percent on, on the, the importance of subtlety in mm-hmm. you know whether it's protest music or social conscious or whatever but emily what's your first pick well, on the other spec side of the spectrum from a spoonful of sugar is people who just put it in your face and my pick is mia bad girls oh, i love um, that one total like badass chick fighting for you know female empowerment and it's different when you're in the states and you're doing it than when you're driving around saudi arabia when you're not allowed to drive in the desert with all your badass women looking awesome and really rebelling against the system. I mean, she recorded that one 2012 and women couldn't drive until 2018. So it was a huge statement. And I just, I love her, her beats. I love her poetry. I think she's just awesome. (laughs) But you know, to me, to, to, to protest in Saudi Arabia is a lot different than protesting in the mm-hmm. States. So I just think she's, I don't know, courageous for that. 
Oh, no, she's absolutely amazing. And it's interesting. There's another one when you look at how, you know, the courage it takes to speak up. And like you said, I mean, when she was protesting in Saudi Arabia, she's risking her life, you know? So when you look at that and talk about then and, and, you know, like when you look at the situations you've dealt with, how that inspires you as a band to say, okay, you know what? If so-and-so can do this, Mm -hmm. you know, then... You know, it it definitely is. Look, I mean, I've talked about this with a lot of people in the course of doing these interviews. And there's no question that everything that you guys went through in 2004 absolutely paved away. And Annie Lennox and I talked about this in a way for like Taylor Swift to speak out so much Mm -hmm. and everything. And it's been wonderful to have her speak out so much. It's so valuable because you talked about the platform and here's an artist who reaches 85 million people on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 The stakes are high. <laughs> it is for everyone, but so for all of you, then talk about you know sort of that that lineage, and I think this is one of the cool things about the protest songs, and this comes back into you know Gaslighter and and you know the wonderfulness of this album and the courage and being so open and vulnerable in it, and it's funny to me, it reminds me so much. Like I said, I think I'm going to argue the greatest protest writer of all time is John Lennon. The reason being is because he puts such a personal spin on everything, and yeah. even in just being so vulnerable and open. And talking about it, and it's funny because there's a song Sleep at Night, right? And of yeah. course, it's going to make you think to an extent of John Lennon, you know, attack on Paul McCartney, how do you sleep? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there is a lineage of great protest writers down the line and how it influences. So, you know, and that's a broad ass question. So hopefully you can hone in on what I was trying to say. And, you know, taking it from someone to MIA, who actually, your situation happened before MIA, but still being inspired and, and how all of these people influence each other. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I was saying earlier, I really do feel like just being a fan of so many uh, protest artists when I was growing up, I think it was just instilled in me. So I know we've heard, you know, that a lot of, you know, more current females specifically um, took, you know, us speaking out to help them make the decision to speak out. But for me, it, <laughs> um as naive as it might have been i it i was i never thought had the thought like oh so and so is doing that so i'm going to do it it always just seemed perfectly fine to do <laughs> it never it was never like a calculated decision you know what i mean it was just what you do position i don't know yeah, but it's so wow. funny because, but you say that it may seem naive, but it's funny. But I mean, again, I think the reason it resonates with people, first of all, is it is authentic. You know, if people, it's like the same thing. If you go into the studio and say, cool, I'm going to write a number one song right now. Guess what? The song's probably going to suck. <laughs> you know? So the speaking yeah. out, the fact that it was organic, I think is part of why it resonates with people. But it's funny because you say that it was, it's interesting. I mean, do you feel like then because that's what you always listen to? that's kind of why it, did, it It just struck you as that's just the normal way to do it. So it wasn't like, because again, if you were a fan of Joni Mitchell or Joan Baez or Bob Dylan or Patti Smith, you know, any of that stuff or Bruce Springsteen or you too, then it's like, well, of course, you know, I mean, Springsteen's my favorite artist of all time. Every single of the 60 shows I've seen of him at the end of the show, he points people to the food bank in the back and says, if you can donate to the local food bank. So if you grow up listening to that music, it is just a natural thing of like, okay, that's how it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for us, you know, the, 
the idea that country was not a part of that world was also foreign because you think about like the Johnny Cashes and the Willie Nelsons and people like that. There is that part of country as well. And so I don't think in our minds speaking out was taboo at the time, but apparently it was. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, it's so funny because I mean, in, in hindsight, I mean, do you feel looking back on it that it was, and I don't really want to focus a lot on 2004 because you have such a wonderful new album, but since you mentioned this, I mean, it's funny, I guess for me, because it, I was always just raised also to speak up and, you know, I've always been such a, you know, a fan of protest songs and things like that. I mean, does it seem taboo? Because it really, you know, I mean, maybe people's response to it was, taboo but the reality is i don't think it was taboo if that makes sense i think where country music was at that point it was tab it wasn't ta maybe necessarily taboo to speak out but it <laughs> apparently it wasn't okay to speak out against what the typical what we were supposed to believe uh, you know it wasn't allowed to be liberal or to be anti-war in country radio apparently but what's so funny is it still hasn't freaking changed, man. I interviewed Zach Brown two years ago or a year ago for his side project. He put out the Sir Roosevelt. And he <laughs> said one of the reasons he was putting out a dance record was because I'm so fucking sick and tired of being pigeonholed in country and not being allowed to do anything different. And it's funny because the people you just mentioned, all the heroes, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson. You know, I was talking about this with someone that came up the other day, but they were all the outlaws. They were, they were the rebels. Yeah. All right, so let's. This is fascinating, and and so this is cool. So what I appreciate is the fact that all these songs are leading to different conversations. Because like I say, there was a little bit of you know, I was like, okay, I don't want to just ask the same kind of questions you've answered about Gaslighter already. But I, I do want to ask you actually before we come onto that, what's interesting because I mentioned the idea of writing, you know, of good writing, sort of unfurling itself. So as you were making this record, were there things that emerged? that surprised you things that came out in the writing that when you went back and looked upon it, you're like, okay, I didn't realize how deep I was feeling or that I was thinking, or even that I would put that out there. I don't think I knew that it would be so conversational and direct, but that was one of the best surprises of all. That's what I love about the record. Yeah. And, the, and writing with some of the writers that we did, it was nice to have them, just take what was being said in the room and fit the exact way it was being said into a lyric. Whereas before we might try and lilt it or match it and rhyme it a little bit more or make it a little bit prettier. Um, I think that's what kind of makes this album stand out a little different from our other writing is that it was like literally taken off a page in Natalie's diary or uh, a conversation happening in the room. And, uh, and if it rhymed, it rhymed. If it didn't, it didn't, you know. <laughs> well, hey, that's what makes great, great, you know, like uh, personal writing. I mean, I remember I was lucky enough to interview Adele when she put out 21 and we did an AOL session and she talked about the fact that, you know, most of that record was taken from her diary when she was drinking Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so I think that, you know, there is something to be said for the conversational. So before we come back out of the protest songs of choice, I am curious then, were there records when you talk about the conversationalists or, and I mentioned the vulnerability of it and I mentioned like John Lennon, for example, were there records that, that you sort of look upon now as being sort of benchmarks for being that open, that conversational? And part of what makes, just for me, is I was an English major. So for me, I'm such a fan of writing. I'm always mm -hmm. going to gravitate to that. 
And I love like the details in this. And I even think about a song like Sinead O'Connor, Last Days of Our Acquaintance, where she has that line in there about, you know, I'll meet you in somebody's office. And just the way that it creates that image. So for all of you, were there records that really sort of became benchmarks or that you look back on as being like sort of, you know, just inspiring in their openness and vulnerability? Yes. For me, in my divorce, it was uh, Joni Mitchell Blue. And it wasn't just that she was being open and honest, but she painted, it was the palette that she had of music and she captured loneliness like nobody else I'd ever heard. And to me, that was the soundtrack to my divorce. That's, by the way, the last album to make me cry. <laughs> was that this morning? <laughs> no, it was, it was a while back, but it's still, man. It's, that's, that's, you know, to me, it's funny. I think that if I'm going to pick, I, you know, I, I put, like I said, so my two favorite singer-songwriter albums of all time, I can't separate them, are Blood on the Tracks and Blue. They're like 1A and 1B. They just cannot be distinguished. All right. So, so what about for you? Was there, was there one album or one song that was, or one artist even that, you know, was sort of a, a benchmarker that you go back and look at as being like, okay, just appreciating that vulnerability as you put it out there in this. Who, me or Marty? Either one. Marty, you go. Okay. Um, let's see. Well, when Emily brought up divorce, I thought, well, what was my divorce album? And there is one that I can't listen to today. Divorce, Marty. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was all right. I was just fine. I didn't need any music to wallow in. But divorce number two, it was the Civil Wars, and I wish they were still together. <laughs> so, are you, were you a fan of the Civil Wars? Absolutely, and and huge Joy Williams fan. And that last record, oh my God, the Front Porch. Yeah, um, but that that was the record I can't listen to now because it just the lyrics and the melodies in her voice just harken back to a really painful time for me. But I was going to say, growing up, um, I'd say Cat Stevens and Jim Croce were I, I, when we were experiencing our parents' divorce, Emily. I remember being in La Jolla and Emily had found out that my dad was having an affair and, and cheating on my mom. And I remember just going out with my Walkman and circling the block to Jim Croce. <laughs> and um, so I, I think it has to do with a moment in time in your life and music that penetrates that or supports that or, or helps you through or makes you want to cry. Like I, I, I feel like I gravitate towards really emotional, sad, heartfelt music when I'm sad. I don't want to be cheered up. You know, I don't want to dance. I want, I want to cry. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, wait, as a big Jim Croce fan, I have to ask you, was there one song in particular or just like the best of Jim Croce? Uh, it was the, the tape I had was the best of Jim Croce. <laughs> it's always the best of Jim Croce. For everybody, it's the best of Jim Croce. Yeah, I'm like I'm a deep record fan of Jim Croce. It's that particular record at that particular time. We all feel Patty Griffin's lyrics are super amazing. Nobody does it like her. And then another one is Brandy Carlisle for me, for uh, sure. You guys have like the best taste. By the way, I, I do these Forbes questions all the time, like favorite 70s song, favorite singer-songwriter album. I'm going to steal this one for favorite divorce album because this fascinates me. <laughs> I know. They're, they're uh, doing divorces. I'm like, oh, what was I, what was I listening to? What was I listening to? <laughs> I've got to keep with the theme. <laughs> well, it's, it's, a, it's a whole different variation of the podcast, but you don't necessarily have to have a divorce album, but your favorite sort of vulnerable album, and then we'll come back to the protest song. But it's funny because that ties in as well anyway. I mean, the idea of vulnerability and protest 
in a way, there's a there's a, a, a strong connection of just putting yourself out there and opening yourself up as a songwriter. Well, I'm going to give you one of each. So my divorce album, <laughs> <laughs> there were a few, but I'm going to, and it's, I'm going to choose this one because it's kind of the opposite of what you guys were saying. There are some uh, soft ballads on here, but it was Beth Ditto's album, Fake Sugar. But there's a lot of defiance and like, ugh, <laughs> your face. <laughs> Middle fingers up. <laughs> that I needed and loved <laughs> during that time. <laughs> so yeah, I wasn't just uh, set out to cry and feel all my sadness. Um, I think it was a great example. I mean, first of all, the whole rap and hip hop genre is that to me is the greatest example. So I'm going to go Kendrick Lamar. Any and all things Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> I love that answer as well. And especially because no one's picked, it's funny, like a couple of people have picked Tupac, mm-hmm. but no one's gone. And, and of course, there's been a, a multiple votes for Public Enemy. Yeah. But no one's gone as recent as Kendrick. So I like that. But if, if you had to like, look at, okay, right, you're turning a friend on who's going out to protest and they want to know the perfect song to be their soundtrack. What's the Kendrick song that you would choose? I'm the worst at titles, so you got to give me a second so I can can look at the track list. I'll know all the words to a song, but I can't recall the title. (laughs) No, I suck at titles too because I listen to everything all the way through, so I'll actually like just say, oh, track seven. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. no, I listen to full albums. I've never listened to a playlist in my life, I don't think. God, he has so many good ones. It's really hard. Can I just go album? Um, can I just say sure. damn? <laughs> I told you there's no rules. So yeah, sure. You can say whatever the fuck you want, you know? And actually that keeps in with the defiance anyway. So I like that, you know? Right. <laughs> but it's funny then. So so taking into both of those, Beth Ditto, because I do not want to disregard Beth, who's awesome, yes. and Kendrick, and the idea of the defiance and the middle fingers up, talk about how you find that manifesting itself in Gaslighter. Because it's not just an album that's like, okay, cool, you know, I'm sad. It is a record that also, and one of the great things about the record too is ultimately it also offers hope in places. Yeah. Thanks you know? for noticing that. <laughs> I think well, so. Well, look, it's like every great record, there has to be, you know, there has to be that arc. Yeah. You're yeah. telling a story. Yeah. And it really was real time. Like, Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's not like we were reflecting back. I think that's one reason it sounds so raw is because a lot of it was happening right, right then. <laughs> yeah. So when did you finish the album, by the way? Turned it in December, finally. <laughs> November or December, we, we handed like it Like as far as mix and mastering. But we finished recording what? Before that. October, we were still tweaking. We still were going to New York to Electric Lady and doing some overdubs. Mm-hmm. Well, I asked specifically about when you finished because this is interesting to me because, you know, um, most artists will say, when look, when you're in the midst of making an album, it's really hard to process it. It's hard to digest it because, you know, you're so immersed in it. Mm-hmm. And like one of my favorite quotes on this was Brandon Boyd from Incubus telling me it takes him two years to figure out what every Incubus album is about. And I always love that. So now that it's almost a year since you finished... Talk about how things, and I asked you kind of, and you mentioned the fact that it was conversational surprised you, but are there specific things in there? And it could be musically as well as lyrically that kind of stand out to you that you have a different appreciation for a year later. Because like you said, it was if it was raw, real time, it's hard to, in the midst of it, be like, 
oh, hey, okay, I appreciate this or I get this. It's like, oh shit, you're just unfurling it and it's just coming out. So for all of you, when you go back and look at it, are there specific things that really, like that you see a different way a year later? I mean, one of the benefits of talking about the album with so many different people in interviews is that they make connections that we don't necessarily haven't made for ourselves. And we'll be like, you know, was that subconscious? Was that just a happenstance? Like there are things, whether it's how, what a, is a, I'm trying to think this is a word, like a premonition that March, March was like, it felt like we were just writing it about something that had already happened in our a life. Foreshadow. <laughs> is that what it is? Would that foreshadow, yes. There's a lot of foreshadowing about 2020 to me and, mm-hmm. and things that we could never have anticipated. But also I think marching and things like that and the issues we deal with are cyclical. So they do come back around, but 2020 has just been a crazy, crazy year. But yeah, I mean, as far as like, um, just connections. I mean, I think those things come later. We never write or make an album with like an, a big grand plan ever. It's always just real time. What Whatever's happening, we are in the trenches. And I don't think we make those connections later. But I don't know if I answered. Yeah, I was going to say, we take so long to make a record and we play everything <laughs> so many times and really craft lyrics, even if they're just, you know, thoughts and sentences I don't know I can't I I feel like I understood or knew every every single bit of (laughs) might need some more time before (laughs) things uh strike me as you know different than I think of them now I feel a little oh sorry go ahead well, I just wanted I just wanted to say the one epiphany that I've had or just change in, in hindsight kind of reflection, there have been moments where I'm like, ooh, that was harsh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> when you're in it, well, I didn't know if y'all felt that way because we haven't talked about it, but when you're in it, you feel like so private. You know what I mean? You forget that a lot of people might hear it. <laughs> so <laughs> Because we're all just, yeah, yeah, that's a great line. And yeah, oh, yeah. And we're, we come in in the morning and we basically talk for two hours with Jack about what's going on or what we're mad about or what we're sad about or, you know. And so you feel so safe in, in this little cocoon. And yeah, then when it gets released, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, I had the oh, shit moment before it was released. But yes, that was a good realization. That was a realization. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the next protest song for each of you? Let's go back to that for a second. And it's because I don't want to ask you about the oh shit moment. So let's ask about the. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to go. So here is one from uh, my teenage years. Um, Mr. Cab Driver, Lenny Kravitz. Has anyone picked that? <laughs> no, they have not. And actually, Lenny's doing the show soon, too. So I love that because now I will be able to he will be the second artist on who had one of his songs picked by another guest. So it's a All great right. starting talking point. Um, when he has, I think, a lot of protest, you know, music. And I was, I mean, teenager, he, he was my everything. I listened to everything Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> I was obsessed. Um, and yeah, but Mr. Cab Driver, um, you know, just... Well, first of all, yes, here I, here I go again with like a fast paced kind of in your <laughs> face, <laughs> I'm a survivor um, kind of thing. But yeah, I loved the music, the driving beat and 
the the honesty about you know racism and <laughs> what it's like to be a black man and uh and I always pictured it in New York City but I don't think he says that but you know whatever city um but then there's this defiance yet again I guess I have a theme <laughs> with my protest songs but yeah there's a defiance but you know what's funny about that is it's funny because I think there's the conventional idea of the protest song being like a Dylan blowing in the wind or the times they are changing. But this came up when I was talking with uh, Carlos and Cindy Santana and they brought up a good point, which is there's a difference between songs of kind of peeling and the songs that get you fired up. Yeah. And like, for example, Cindy chose James Brown, you know, I'm black and I'm proud as, as like her song that gets you fired up. So, so it feels like yours kind of go more in the fired up versus the conventional you know, acoustic guitar sitting there, you know, around the campfire singing Kumbaya. Absolutely. I mean, I love those too, but the ones I love best always do seem to be more defiant and in your face. Yeah. The, the ones that fire you up. Yep. All right. Well, since you guys put so much time into this awesome list, I want to go around and at least get a couple more from, from each of you. So what's next? Was I next? Um, <clears throat> Sting Russians. Nice. I I was in gosh fourth fifth grade kind of when a lot of that stuff was going on cold war stuff and I remember hearing the line I hope the Russians love their children too and like really being inquisitive about what what why what what's what's going on <laughs> you know <laughs> and that and I was looking at the lyrics today just to make sure this was on my list and they're pretty in your face to President Reagan and, um, you know, calling war ignorant and there's no winnable war and, you know, just great lessons. He's an amazing artist. He probably wasn't his protest song. Yeah, it's so funny too because, and, and, you know, we'll do the next one in a second. But I love, you know, even when you hear this list, right? And it's like Kendrick and Sting and Lenny Kravitz <laughs> and Ocean Color Scene and MIA. It's like, it, it's so funny because just looking at it from a strictly music standpoint, it's like, now wonder the music is so damn eclectic. How does this all, <laughs> you know, when you go back and hear Gaslighter and you hear all these choices, you're like, how the hell does this all come together in an <laughs> effective way? And by the way, I've known Jack for many years. So we'll give him some props for that as well, because he's an awesome, awesome guy. He's yeah. incredible. He's uh, and just a great musician. Yeah, he's awesome. I'm trying to pick because I have, Four more, but I want to, since you guys have kind of been picking men, I'm not going to go another female. Uh, and I'm going to say, this is a very recent one. Uh, Her, I Can't Breathe, which nice. was a direct reflection yeah. of what's happening here, right here, right now. And I feel like she's going to be uh, a very important artist coming up. I feel like she's so talented and I love her voice. And I, sh I, I just think she's really coming into her own right now. And I love watching her. Part of it is, I can appreciate certain people, but they don't draw me to always want to watch them. And she's one of those people who does both. Um, so I love that song. Um, I can't breathe. It's the words are very emotional and heartfelt. You can tell, but her voice is so beautiful and her playing is so beautiful that I think it, it makes people want to re-listen to it. Well, it's an interesting thing too, because you look at a song like that and it's funny, you go back to, you know, uh, Ohio by CSNNY. And that was a song that they were so proud of the fact they recorded and put out in two weeks. You know, so it's like there is something to be said for writing these songs that, that document real time. 
And it's interesting. Talk about for all of you being, you know, sort of being inspired by that just as fans, because look, the reality is, is that the way music exists now, you also don't need to put out a whole album. You can, if there's something topical that feels relevant to you at this moment, there's no right. reason why you can't just freaking write it and put it out the next day. But there is a talent for being able to sort of write in real time. Yeah, yeah. especially when it's about current events, for sure. <clears throat> yeah. Should we each do one more? Yeah. All right. So I'll end with, um, you know, I know a lot of people choose Nina Simone. and She was a great protest artist and somebody that spoke to the Times. Um, but I think maybe this is not on a lot of lists, uh, but Backlash Blues. No, that's actually, there's been a lot of Nina Simone, but that is the first time that song has been chosen. Yeah, well, I've always loved the blues. So again, it's about feel and <laughs> kind of, you know, that whole thing. But um, yeah, just what an amazing artist. And, you know, I've been stuck on this quote of hers that how can you be an artist and not reflect the times? So yeah, she's a great example. Well, it's so funny because that's just what we were talking about with the her song. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it is really funny because let's it's it's funny because I very purposely and we'll you know we'll sort of tie in with your last two choices with wrapping up on Gaslighter as well. And it's really funny because to me again I go back to the idea of, of great political songwriting being personal songwriting. And it's funny because I very consciously try not to read interviews before I talk to someone. I very consciously am just like, okay, like Courtney Love is randomly a friend of mine. I was with her one day when she was doing a bunch of interviews. And I was like, these are painful to listen to. I'm going to go play video games. And when it's my turn, I'll come back. So, nice. but it's interesting because I did read, the only one I read with you guys was the New York Times piece. And it's so funny because before I even read that, like, I think to me, one of the things that makes this record so effective is Gaslighter, for example. You know, of course, you're writing about your personal experience. And I saw where you said that it could definitely be interpreted about being, you know, the racist in chief whose name I do not use. And it's <laughs> funny because that's exactly, I was like, that's what makes a great song though is to me, having heard the song three weeks ago, well before the New York Times piece came out or before reading the New York Times piece, 100% it felt like to me, if it didn't say we moved to California, you could have felt that it was 100% a protest anthem. Well, I think it's definitely why we named the album Gaslighter because it is such a buzzword. I mean, naming the album Gaslighter for me was uh, saying something about the times we're living in with this president. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. All right. So what's the next protest song? Um, Natalie brought this one to myself and Emily. And I remember there was like a two week period, Natalie, when you couldn't stop listening to this song. And we talked about even maybe recording it. And it's um, Iron Sky by Paolo Nutini. Interesting. Yes. So I, I, it's, I read the lyrics and I was like, I don't know exactly. I think he's speaking to like, big power and, uh, you know, people being held back and, and will we overcome kind of hate and stuff like that. But it's, very, it's really poetic. And are you familiar with that song? I am. In fact, I saw Paolo Nutini randomly. He was one of the like seven artists who opened for Led Zeppelin at the reunion show at the O2 Arena. I think he was like one of the new discoveries that Atlantic was trying to push in 2007. Mm -hmm. His voice, oh my god, and and he he just really sells this song, and I and he wrote it as well. But all right, so so now I have to ask as a fan, any likelihood that you will ever actually record it? We just kind of, what were we well, doing? Uh, like, I we brought did it to the table to do because we always like to do a cover to live that people have never heard us do, and that I was pushing <laughs> to do that one. <laughs> 
Was it while we were on tour? Yeah, I just couldn't sure. remember. Yeah, it was for live, not really recording, but live. Okay. So, well, you know, eventually, potentially in 2021 or 2022 or whenever the hell people can stop being such idiots, you know, <laughs> you will get to actually tour again. So, you know, maybe you can cover it then. And it's funny for you. I mean, for me as a fan, right? I love that because even though I'm not going to sit here and claim that I'm a huge Paolo Nutini fan, I love just the, I mean, I and nothing against him. I'm just not that, I, it's someone I haven't thought about in years. But it's when you think about like the attention it can bring to an artist like that. You know, it's funny. I, I think one of my favorite songs of all time is Joseph Arthur, In the Sun. And that's a song that was covered by Chris Martin and Michael Stipe. And you think about the attention brought to that. So for you guys, just as music fans, how fun is it to be able to think about the idea of, of you know, turning a bunch of people who would have never heard of Paolo Nutini onto that or song? Or Ocean Color Scene. I bet a lot of people haven't heard of Ocean Color Scene. No, probably not. So, all right. So, so, so Paolo Nutini, Iron Sky. We'll wrap up with one more. And hopefully in 20... Well, all right, let me ask you on this. And it's funny because, you know, just by the nature of the fact the album was written in such real time, that does feel like, and we talked about the fact that there is hope in it. It goes through a recurring, like it does have an arc, like an actual, you know, uh, book or something. So is there any chance that you guys, when you do the album, would you ever do it from start to finish or just too difficult to do? I mean, are there going to be some of these songs? And it's funny when I, I mentioned Adele, when I talked to her when she did 21 and at the time, because again, this was one of her first performances. She's like, oh, I can't do someone like you. It's, it's this is, she's like, this is going to be one of the few times I ever do it. And then of course it ended up being one of the most famous songs in the world. And I'm like, you freaking lied to me because you did that song 858, <laughs> like every damn show, every award show, everything, you know? But are yeah. there any songs from this record you are particularly excited to do live or, or the idea of just bringing it, you know, again, eventually you will be able to bring this whole arc to the stage. Yeah, I mean, one, I mean, what we were planning to do for this tour, what was in the works was to have an A show and a B show. And between those two shows, those would be different set lists. And between those two shows, we would play this whole album live. But we know, you know, a lot of people want to hear <laughs> the hits. We <laughs> we're fans of people too. And know, you know, you like to sing along, you like to hear stuff, you know? So, um, and I think, and our fans are very quick studies and I think they would have known the record, but you know, you don't want to hear 12 new songs when you go see somebody, um, that you've liked for a long time. So, uh, yeah, we were going to sort of divide it up, but we were really itching to play every song in this record live. Yeah. All right. What about for, for you guys? Is there, and we'll wrap up on your last protest song in a second, but is there one song for each of you from this record that you're, and part of the reason I ask this question always, because as a fan, right, you're always so excited to, to, you know, do new music live and it's always what you're most proudest of, but it's interesting too, because, you know, look, going back to what you were talking about with the connections, when you put out new music, people instantly make it their own. They take it, they interpret it, they bring their own things to it. And especially you can feel that live. So are there songs from the album that you're particularly excited to see how people sort of make them their own when you play them live? Yes. I mean, when, when we record stuff or when I hear it back, I start to think about the live show and like how dramatically and with whatever we're doing on stage, we can um, do with a song. And I, the one that's very scenic for me in my mind's eye is March March just because I feel like it has so many highs and lows and it's such a, I don't know, you travel through that song with different emotions and I can see, and I haven't talked to Marty and Natalie about this yet, so it may not happen. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I feel like between, you know, or Natalie's, you know, doing this, the drum parts on her knees with Chad Smith or whatever that part was, I see extended, an extended version where we can really take it even to the next level of just, I don't know, a cacophony at the end of that song. But, you know, I, I do see things visually a lot of times. So that's how I would see that one. But what about y'all? Do you have a song you... Hmm. No, I think I was just ready for them to surprise us to see what <laughs> the you know favorites. Yeah, I think they'll be singing. They always sing along to big choruses. <laughs> I can already hear them singing "Sleep at Night." Mm-hmm. The big choruses. Yeah. All right. So, who's got the last protest song? Uh, I think I do. Um, well, back on the. Getting back to touring, we used to play the song before we went on stage. It was the last, like, lights off, big song that we would play. And was it 2006, I believe it was that tour? Yeah. Um, we played Elvis Costello, Peace, Love, and Understanding. And it's kind of a twist on a protest song because it's like when things are going bad, you know, and you're in the middle of it. And I can get really depressed when we have years like this and things in politics are happening like they are. And, um things feel really heavy sometimes. So I like, we all love that song, but I like that song for, it's kind of uplifting. Like, you know, why can't we put peace, love and understanding as the most important priority? You know, we used to protest songs don't always have to be angry. They can be shedding light on, on the important things. So, and I love uh, that. I do too. It's funny though, because I think if I had to pick, he probably has written the most, the angriest protest song of all time. And I love him. Tramp the Dirt Down off the album Spike, which is a great fucking song. And by the way, you're the first person to pick Elvis as well. I love your choices for, from all of you. They're so different and so diverse. And, you know, just across the board. I feel like now though, you know, I, I mean, for each of you, I'm going to make this one last, because you mentioned covering Paolo Nutini. If there was one for each of you, one of the protest songs you chose that you would cover, what would it be? And we'll make this last question because, you know, there, these are, I mean, these are great choices and very fun and very different. And, and, and by the way, I'll let you sneak in a little, since you each picked extra songs that didn't necessarily, you get, didn't choose. If you want to cover a protest song that you did not mention, go for it. And I know we got to wrap up, so it could be a one word answer. I'm going to go Mr. Cab Driver. I think the fiddle and banjo would sound awesome on that. <laughs> <laughs> I said Peace, Love, and Understanding, Elvis Costello. Of the songs I picked, that's probably the one I could hear at the song the most. Um, we're uh, fans of Gary Clark Jr. Uh, he's not another Austin uh, guy position. Um, but he did a version of um, A Change Is Gonna Come. Uh, the Sam Cooke, also Otis Redding, recorded that. But... Um, I think that'd be cool to do a cover with him, his version. Oh my God. Can you please make that happen? I fucking love Gary. <laughs> we got to play with him um, not too long ago. You mean back when there was live music? Yeah, exactly. Before, right before everything got shut down. Yeah. Where'd you play with him? We got a benefit in Austin at the Moody Theater for um, a charity I'm on the board of called Proclaim Justice. Don't get wrongfully convicted people with life and death sentences out of prison. Amazing. This was awesome. And hopefully, you know, 
I feel like we got to cover a, a lot of different stuff. So thank you so much for your excellent song choices. And I'm so stealing, but I will 100% credit you with the divorce album. I'm <laughs> That's a good list. <laughs> I'm fascinated with this concept, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Inner protests. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Cool. Thank you guys so much. This was a blast. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Thank Thanks. You. Have a good one. Bye. Hi, this is Steve Balton, and you have been here for a really fun, informative, fascinating, and just great interview with the chicks. Thanks so much to them for doing this, and thanks for their great song choices. Hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. 